0: Welcome, everyone, to a rather special edition of Strength in the Numbers. Uh, We've got two former mentors from the show, Rob Tripp and Lance Rubin, on the line. And the reason why I got Rob and Lance on on today was because they recently put a post up on LinkedIn that started trending in corporate finance and FP&A, and essentially it was around some things uh, that was concerning them uh, within our community and rather than me explain what those concerns were, because it got a lot of engagement, how about I sort of start by going over to Lance and say, Lance, would you mind maybe sort of sharing with our audience uh, some of the motivations behind the post you put up?
1: Sure. Look, this is something which I think Rob and I have been seeing that that have been trending over some time. And and really this, this pandemic and the crisis of COVID-19 has really brought this issue to bear. Um, it sort of bubbled up um, plainly and simply because... Really, in FPNA, we're really getting off track with um, predictions and data and analytics, and, and, and that's useful. But right now, we really don't know how to forecast and model correctly. So, you know, we've lost the, the fundamentals of uh, three way modeling, uh, of how to do this. And sadly, a lot of us are going back to Excel. So, Andrew, remember we did that Excel, look at that podcast, Excel's <laughs> Not Dead. Well, this is proving it. This is proving the fact that I've been going on for a long, long time around these big systems, these expensive systems. You know, I've been on a call recently and a number of people are struggling because their systems, their planning systems don't do what they need to do. And that's model cash flow and navigate this uncertainty, understand scenarios and, and get back to basics, get back to the basics of how do you actually do financial modeling? How do you do decision making? Very much from a, a corporate finance um, and and cash flow perspective. I mean, um, you've been you've been in private equity, Andrew. Obviously, Rob, long time corporate finance expert, and you know I had a I had a stint in investment banking as well. But I've always I've come back into finance, and I think I've always been a big advocate for financial modelling. Um, if there's one thing that, that it's clear uh, on LinkedIn, I'm pretty stand quite quite strong in that domain. And and yes, I do like data and data analytics, but not right now. Right, it's not the right time for that. Right now, it's actually about navigating this uncertainty we have because there's too many variables. We don't even have the right data to navigate. Historic data is largely useless. Um, we're going in uncharted territory here, and that means modeling, and that means you know playing with scenarios, playing with decisions, and if you're not sure, running simulations. Um, you know, most finance professionals don't even know what a Monte Carlo simulation is. It doesn't mean you need to jump into it right now. Mm but let's start with scenarios let's start with sensitivities you know everyone does forecasting tick yeah everyone can do forecasting forecasting is just last year plus a percentage right no it's not good enough it's clearly not good enough in this crisis and so i just saw more and more of this how would i say mismarketing misinformation about the latest in ai and 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 all these great systems that are going to do all your job for you when you know I wonder how well those systems are being used today. If there's one thing that people need to take away from this discussion, is have a look at what you do tomorrow or the next day or the next week. What system are you using the most? And if it's not Excel, great for you. I'd love to hear from from listeners that, that are not stuck in Excel modeling and playing with scenarios and being dynamic because that's the problem. So we need to get on board with using the fundamentals and applying it with a tool that's been around for a very long time and, and being used heavily in investment banking and corporate finance and still. Banks mm. and, and IPOs and project finance are not moving away from Excel. No one's building a predictive model for a for a toll road or a bridge or a building or an IPO for that matter.
0: Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah.
1: my rant. I'll probably give you guys a chance to. Talk no, about
0: yeah, it. yeah. I was just thinking. Yeah, it was that was a yeah. I suppose look around to would be probably unkind to yourself, Lance, but there was a lot in there. But but Rob, summary for yourself, like why now should we be engaging and accelerating this conversation?
2: Actually, Andrew, Lance, thanks both. Thanks for having me. And now more than ever, we got to make sure that FPNA has its house in order,s hmm. and that starts with the absolute fundamentals. There's a lot going. On right now in our field, and it's kind of exciting, um, but we are at a moment of um, outside macroeconomic stress, and we have internal stress as well. And this is the result of new expectations that have been put upon FPNA, and also the collaborative and more in- integrated approach that our functional area is trying to take with other functional areas. But to withstand all these different pressures coming from both within inside the organization and without and from without, we need to make sure that our foundation is strong. And that foundation is fundamental financial theory and concepts and modeling, which is structured, flexible, transparent.
0: It's interesting you've gone back to, to the, these fundamentals because in this day and age with technology and all these sort of cool buzzwords out there, I guess there's a lot of people chasing the shiny objects and wanting to get involved in the new stuff. Exactly. Right? Uh, they've just they've just done their certifications, whatever institute they're part of and done their training and whatever, maybe even out of college. So like, you know, probably this is the last thing they want to be hearing. But so, so why should they be
2: taking it forward, Rob? What's going to get you through the last five minutes of your football game, your core strengths. core strengths, and you're going to focus back to the basics. And that's pretty much where we are. We're really, I don't believe at a point where we can start bringing in flashy new concepts, um, lose transparency, um, in our work, and somehow attempt to move away from the core fundamental fp concepts that have gotten us to 2020. Um, I don't know how better else to say it, except that a return to the core is exactly what's gonna allow us to bring on new responsibilities in this uncertain future. Mm-hmm. Fundamental finance and modeling is our path into the future.
0: And, and I suppose I just then, want to, can I, yeah, yeah,
2: go on, Lance, yeah, go on. Come in. I, I, just,
1: I just want to boost what, what, what Rob has to say. And, and when Rob talks about core and the fundamentals, it's all about cash, right? That's the fundamentals. The only reason you go into business and the only reason you get out of business is for cash, right? Everything else in the middle is noise. So we need to really get back to that fundamentals of cash and cash flow. Yes, accounting is important to be compliant. Tick, but we need to understand going forward and going forward is really no one reports on the accounting. You never report your financial statements on a go forward basis. No one does. Everyone prepares their financial statements, statutory reports on a, go, on a look back basis, because that's the way the rules are written. Now we have to look forward and now that's not new, right? We've always been talking about looking forward, but what difference does that make now? Well, looking forward on a p basis is useless looking forward on a cash-only basis is useless. You've really got to look at cash and your balance sheet and your P&L. So you've got to get these in sync. And that's, I guess, to Rob's point, the core fundamentals of finance and corporate finance because you go into any investment bank and you go to any transaction that they're doing and there is a three-way model. Mm -hmm. You, You just don't sign deals without that core fundamentals of, modeling and decision making that based on drivers not based on growth rates these are not new concepts and that's one of the reasons why we uh, are, you know really trying to create this dictionary because we feel that these concepts which have been around for decades and we even bringing academia in, in, into the conversation with professor paul thumba who's also a guest mentor on your show a while back um fortunately is a neighbor for me down the road um but but ultimately he's He's been reaching out to me actually for quite a long time saying, what are these people talking about? What are we talking about um, 0 based FPNA? What are we talking about all these concepts that while we're reinventing new things that, that really um, there is no need to create this new, new language? We've got a language. We've forgotten it and we've forgotten how to communicate with each other.
2: That's very well said, Lance. Andrew, can I jump in here? Yeah, sure, um, sure just to get it out of the way, really big companies can't zero base budget because when you have 15 or $20 billion on the balance sheet, you're not gonna start from scratch. To pretend that history doesn't have something to tell you only gets us in the trouble over and over again. But getting back to cash, um, Lance, you bring up a really good point point. and evaluation at the end of the day is actually very simple. We buy something for cash, we may or may not receive a dividend, and we sell it for cash. It's that simple. The hard part to this is we're going through accounting. If you really want to look at a conceptually difficult and theoretical concept, look at net income, not cash. So cash flow and three-way modeling, while tricky and difficult to learn in the beginning, is truly a back to basics approach in corporate finance and FPNA. And that's where we believe the focus should be, especially in times of difficulty and uncertainty.
0: It, it, I, I actually, no, I, I think um, it is interesting because my personal take on it um, is we might have lost the run of ourselves a bit. I mean, if we think back to the blow-ups, the world comms, the Enrons. They were busy chasing earnings per share, this net income idea, when fundamentally valuation and value creation and capture is all about cash. It starts and ends with cash. I'm not, this, that's not my expression. I think one of you said that to me. It starts and ends with cash. So, you know, like that makes makes sense to me. So we we seem to have lost our way a bit. Um. What things can we start to do to start? I think a dictionary was mentioned. What things can we start to do to to anchor ourselves, so to say, to going back to basics?
2: Lance? Um,
0: yeah, I, I think the key thing of going back to basics
1: is is to Rob's point, and I'll I'll go on about it all the time is is learn the fundamentals of of, of three way modeling, and yeah, can, the hard bit of three way modeling is the balance sheet. It is the accounting. But, but, we, but that's the rules we've got, and that's how we report. So the accounting is not useless. It's just overly complex to a concept that is actually quite basic. You know, you speak to anyone around how much cash do you have, and they know how much cash they have in their wallet, in their back pocket, and on their credit card, you know, pretty quickly. Um, and so, And we manage our own lives daily with cash. Um, although sometimes you know, the, you know on, on credit cards it's not necessarily hard cash, but but yet when we manage our accounting function and our businesses, we look at profit. Mm-hmm. How many people look at profit in the context of their own personal wealth? No one does. No one works out. You know, this is my income every year. How much profit did I make as a family? I mean, how many people do you know? I certainly don't. I don't know of any people that look right. at their themselves their own financial position as a profit or yeah, loss
0: lads i, I actually actually lads i'm going to come in there i actually met one person about 20 or maybe 18 years ago who actually did that they actually <laughs> um, valued their family <laughs> there's got to be one there's ba- got to be one they, did, they they did a balance sheet up and you and uh, you wouldn't be surprised is a long term chartered accountant uh, so uh, but he did he did he's the only person i met that's actually done that he did an income statement a balance sheet uh, a balance sheet, balance sheet
1: I can agree with. balance sheet I can yeah. agree with because you want to see how much leverage you've got. You've got your house. You want to, you know, when you're trying to get a mortgage, balance sheet I get. I get yeah. I get putting your own personal balance sheet together, 100%. Putting your own personal P&L together, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you, but, 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 who uh... you paying tax to? Why are you doing it? No one yeah. cares. Yeah. Why? Because yeah. balance sheet and cash are the most important things. P&L is yeah. just... Uh, Vanity and sanity, right? It's not king. And
2: yeah. Andrews, so we, we have a couple great areas that we can um, go back to basics with. We mentioned the three-way, three-way modeling. Mm-hmm. We, we mentioned the focus, the intense focus on cash flow, not book values, and not purely an income statement allocated approach. And we've talked quite a bit about language. And this to me is critically important that we get the terminology correct and that we're all speaking in sync, especially in an environment where we have other functional areas coming into the fold, such as accounting, such as IT and statistics. I think if we focus on those three elements, the modeling, the cash flow, yeah. and the terminology, FPNA will come through current circumstances just fine. But we have to go back to the basics in many regards.
0: I, so maybe maybe they're the you know, it's what not just one anchor, maybe they're are the three anchors. And and I do want to um, you know get you to share one of your, your sort of anecdotes rob with with our audience but before i do that i think that point you made about terminology and language um is is quite key there was um there was a study done by the australian financial review and it, it was trying to figure out why so many people avoid talking to in particular accountants you know people who are, are fairly familiar with pulling up p and l's together um, even though there was like an 83% chance of a successful outcome of having a conversation with a, a, an accountant, only one in 10 people sought out an accountant, you know? And I think what most people, when they asked why that was, was because they were frightened of being bombarded with all these complex terminology and, and being, t- you know, talking in a completely different language to what really needed to happen. So I think there's a great opportunity for FP&A professionals in particular uh, to maybe sail into or make the most of this opportunity to develop a common language, be able to talk with the business was what they needed, you know, and and I think, you know, to, to, to lead into it, then you have a fantastic story, I think, about some sailors uh, and where they developed a common language.
2: Yes, Andrew, um, a few thousand years ago in the Mediterranean, the known world quote-unquote at the time (laughs) sailors were coming from all over different you know countries and city states and they were meeting at sea and they didn't know friend or foe and no one spoke a common language it was truly the tower of babel so what the sailors did is develop their own at sea common language amongst themselves and we see that today in corporate finance and accounting such as ebitda Now, EBITDA is a very flawed concept in many ways. Uh, The term was developed in the 1980s. It may have been John Malone, telecommunications, uh, you know, private equity buyout guy. Um, EBITDA doesn't really tell us very much, and it's not either – it doesn't belong on an income statement, and it's certainly not cash flow. But nonetheless, EBITDA is a common language. Is a common language among investment bankers, in-house accounting and finance, and that's one example of where we can all come to terms and on common ground and communicate effectively. Bottom line.
0: Yeah, yeah. What, what do you what do you think, Lance? This this idea of having a common language, uh, I- even a dictionary. I, I, you know.
1: I'm, you know what? I've never I've never thought about IBIDA. Being exactly that, and that's a great example because I don't think there is another metric um, that that is got that unification across functional areas across. You know, um, you know, not not long ago, I went to a second-tier accounting firm um, that, that does valuations, and 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 I and challenged the person. I said, look are we ever going to get rid of this EBITDA concept for valuation? <laughs> why is it an EBITDA, and EBITDA multiple? I said, I said, what, what, yeah, like, it's not, it's, it's back of the envelope stuff. It's sort of, you know, X, you know, five times, 10 times, 12 times, that's the value of my company, you know, you know, work done. I said, it's dangerous. I said, it's, you know, DCF is 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 true value because you can actually look at the proper cash flows. And he says, um, you're right. He says you're right, but unfortunately, it's it's been around for so long, and everyone uses it, and it's still the proxy, and it's still in some cases useful. And I agree, it is useful as a proxy, but in of itself, it's dangerous. That's why yeah. you always do multiple valuation metrics to yes. work out, you know, um, you know, dividend yield and and you know all all different ranges of you know comparables and 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 PE multiples as well. Um, you know, there's a range of different and, you know, price to book, um, you know, revenue multiples, God forbid, let's not go there again. You know, like, you know, there's all these spurious, I mean, I was a CFO for a FinTech not too long ago and we had, um, one of the most ridiculous metrics and, and the only reason we had it was because the rest of the FinTech sector, largely out of the U S was using the same metric. So we, so we thought, well, let's, let's hey, value hey, the hey. business on that same one. Cumulative loans written, cumulative loans written, multiple. And I'm like, hang on. That's, that that's all not through even revenue. That's not even <laughs> revenue. That's like volume. And so you can write shitty loans and still get valued at, at, at such a high price purely based on an activity which is purely vanity, pure vanity. Vanity. Yeah.
2: yeah. That's interesting, Lance, putting that in uh, today's context. The U.S. media is still completely fixated on accumulated COVID cases, but we're coming down the back of the curve, and we really God care about up. net. But the media doesn't. The media is all about accumulation. So
0: well, it's, it's again, it's again, it's just, again. That's a really good point, Rob. I mean, for me, the big one is how many people have recovered, you know, from it, you know, despite the cases, despite the deaths, which are horrible and awful. Right? Um, how many people have recovered? And if you looked at that down in particular sectors, you know, like they were the, the hotspots that we, we didn't protect enough in society, the, the care homes, the healthcare exactly. workers, you know. Um. So, you know, so, so it's just interesting. Again, I think we were probably measuring the wrong things and EBITDA could be could be just one of those. Uh, mm-hmm. And we, you know, that van- it's, it's, a, it's a, vanity, a vanity metric, the old EBITDA.
2: We can use EBITDA and EBITDA is very helpful if we understand that it is not, Always a great answer, and it is not to take the place of disciplined net cash flow approaches. And this is where FPNA really needs to hold the fort down. And this is a big concern of mine. As new languages and as we adopt the terminology or are influenced by the terminology of other functional areas, it's our job as FPNA and corporate finance professionals to hold the fort down if you asked a judge an accountant and a corporate finance professional the definition of fair value plus those guys on tv (laughs) is it i don't know squawk box or whatever if you ask them the definition of fair value you would get three different answers someone has to take the reins to make sure that we are making decisions in a disciplined, quantifiable manner within the boundaries of corporate finance, and that's FPNA So my proposal is a little less talk about AI and machine learning and a little more talk about net cash flow and market values. I know it's a tall order to some, but at the end of the day, we're only making things easier and more valuable.
0: I love the way you broke that down, Rob.
1: Yeah, and and, and look, not to say that we shouldn't eventually get back to AI and analytics and all the rest, but not right now. It's right. not the right time.
2: Exactly,
1: not the right time for it. And and so I think you know, I'm not going to sit here knowing, and people know me, um, I'm a heavy supporter of technology and use a lot of it but I'm also, um, you know, see technology as an enabler, um, primarily. And I think anything that's not focused on those fundamentals is actually a disabler. It's destructive because we're losing the concept of actually getting ourselves out of the crisis, which is purely focused on
0: cash. So, so, so I suppose in my, my sort of spiky, robust way, I was involved in a conversation with some finance leaders, And um, they were trying to figure out how they could use automation uh, and, uh, you know, some artificial intelligence robotics to to get some hours back for their finance team. I think that's a big theme at the moment, you know, it's how can we get a load of hours back? You know, I think they were setting a target of 20,000 hours and they got to 10. And I was saying, OK, so what's the impact on your cash flow doing that? Nothing. You know, they hadn't they hadn't done any benefits case that these hours back would be reinvested in higher value work. I said, I can, I can, I can, I can, um, you know, I can reduce your hourly costs or or, or or free up even more time by maybe suggesting that you locate your higher expensed employees in in say, I don't know, the US, some expensive European countries and so on into lower cost or better cost locations, you know, who, and those people there probably would work, <laughs> no offense, it's always harder, right? And you get your more predict- productivity that way um and then once you've done that then you can go do the artificial intelligence the robotics and so on because you've got a much lower cost base and you've reduced your cash profile so that cash mindset was coming in and i'm just wondering i was a bit concerned that finance professionals are being led by the the, these shiny objects i call them rather than getting back to the cash conversation
2: i couldn't agree more andrew and um don't, please don't ever get me wrong. We are completely dependent upon systems, and we need to know them. Yes. Say it's Hyperion. Say it's SAP. S. A. P. They're actually a lot of fun to work with, um, and <laughs> quirky. Yes, but they're a lot happen. of fun to work with. Like, oh, let's see what the you know what's going to pop in my in my workbook now. Um, they're a lot of fun, and it is a very disciplined approach to data to, to data management, and we need that. Um, and take, and please take it from me. I was the guy who, hmm, 14, 15 years ago, actually walked around corporate accounting, opened up file drawers, took out general ledgers, wrote numbers down, walked back to my office, inputted them into Excel, and from there created a $15, $15 billion balance sheet forecast. I don't want to go back to that again. These database systems and the add-on applications that we have in Excel to access that data is critically important. But this is data management and reporting. It is not corporate finance. And we yes. need to keep that in mind.
0: Yes. Yes, and I, I think that's could be where some FP&A professionals are being drawn into, into those sort of shiny object scenarios and they're just looking at it in the wrong way. I think there's a lot more value to be found going back to basics, back to cash, you know,
1: you got it yeah. and back what to the it? basic tools as well. I think it's, it's not just about the basic concepts of, you know, it's about also just going back to basic systems of uh, Excel. And if you want to go fancy, go Power BI, you know, got to learn it's, 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 but again, you can't really do a three way model in Power BI really easily. I use Power BI yeah. for visualizing the three-way, which is built in Excel. So, you right. know, use use it for the right purposes. And um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember writing my my CA exams, and you know, having it all on calculator and and pen and paper, and you know, that that was how we wrote our exams. And um, recently, I heard the, the CA ANZ in Australia, they they're doing exams, um, you know, fully recorded, and it actually looks at. Your eyes and looks at records the audio that's around you and and so it's fully um, remote examinations and they record your eyes they record which websites you're going to you doing it online so actually you cannot cheat Um, now yes you might be able to use Excel but that's fine you know that's an acceptable tool back when I was did my exam you know HP 10B was my my tool (laughs) and I didn't have Excel I had an HP 10B in the financial calculator that I could do a DCF cash flow on my calculator. Hey, lads Plus there's the still cash is- flow, negative cash flow. And I pushed a little button called IRR. And hey, presto, I had an IRR <laughs> on my there, there, cash There's flow.
0: some listeners that still have their HPs. And actually, there's. I saw some when I was in an American office last year. I saw a few people walking around with them as well. They're still, they're still there. They're still there.
2: I still have my HP. I'm getting <laughs> rid of it. And I found a tiny little sticker, tiny little sticker that Andrew, that says, what if question mark? And I put that on my HP because we're as corporate finance professionals. We're always thinking what if. What if. So now yeah. if I could just talk a little bit, you know, the Power BI, all the power tools. Fantastic. No doubt about it. But let me give you one observation that I've seen um, on the Internet. I see these great gauges, I see heat maps. Trust me, I've been building my own. Um, It's fun, it's cool. But what does the CFO and the CEO really wanna see? Keep your end user in mind. You're gonna have uh, variances, variances to budget, variance to prior estimate, and variance to last year. And those better show up. Those core fundamentals, back to basics, better show up in your model output or you're probably not providing the right information. Mm. The CEO at 11 o'clock at night in some hotel room somewhere in the world does is not going to be fascinated by a heat map or a gauge that you put together. They're tired. They've read nonstop throughout the week. They need information. They need it presented and they want to know the variances to prior performance or expectation. And you got to give it to them. Simple stuff. And we try to move away from it. You know, all the columns, you know, variance to to plan, variance to last year, variance to prior. But that's the core. That is the absolute fundamentals of what we're doing. And it's never going to be replaced with a gauge or a cone or a heat map. That's yeah. fundamental information. If you open a 10K or a 10Q, what a company is reporting to the world, you will see a very disciplined approach, not only in the variance analysis, but also in the narrative, how, the, how quantifiable data and information is expressed through language.
0: That's what yeah, yeah. yeah, no, no, I, I completely, completely concur, Rob. I suppose then in terms of if we were to, to sort of give our, we've given our audience loads of food or thought to go take away and digest, I guess in terms of, you know, wrapping up, would you maybe have any sort of parting thoughts, Lance, in terms of what the next step should be from our audience?
1: Yeah. So, so we've got, um, I guess we, 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 coll- we collating uh, a dictionary. We're going to do it through an app, um, The three of us, and thanks again, Andrew, as well, for contributing to the article. Um, And you know, it featured, and we might even do updates. um, You know, for for if we if we do big updates, and some some you know some of these definitions are uh, are going to be interesting. That you know, it's going to be a journey. Um, You know, don't know when it's going to end. We're going to start it, and and we're going to get through as much as we can, and and we're going to have academia. In mind, because Professor Paul Thunbar is going to join us. Um, You know, we do need uh, gender diversity, so we'll pick get 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 some mix in there as well. And ultimately, also look at um, you know, I guess some of these concepts to help people. We're doing this not to grandstand, not for marketing. Um, Really, we just see that that we're losing our way, and and I think. the app will come out. Um, it's similar to the financial modeling knowledge hub that, that 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 I've been running, but this is purely going to be focused on FPNA, corporate finance and modeling. And and as Rob said, you know, the terminology around modeling and corporate finance. It's and really honing on that because that's, that's what we need right now in this pandemic. Um, so yeah, please yeah. Re- uh, reach out, uh, contribute and and you know, and and you know, let's see, let's see where it takes us.
2: And I'd like to add, Andrew, that the concept here behind a go-to dictionary terminology for FPA um, is it's really all about the community and a collaborative effort. It'd be great to have submissions and um really a form for agreed upon uh use of language and terminology. And let me give you some examples. Um, When I cruise around the internet looking for a definition for a financial term, and a great one is SVA, shareholder value added, which has kind of an equity connotation to it, shareholder. When I cruise around the internet, I either get incorrect answers, or I get incomplete answers, or I get competing answers. Many of the sources that we go to um, are not in sync and in unison and this is a chance for us to contribute to the community at large in a wholly collaborative manner we got to be on the same page bottom line
0: yeah i actually i think that's a great way to wrap up actually those those sort of parting thoughts and you know just to that point rob shareholder value added you know, that's what, you know, we try to strengthen the numbers is try and demonstrate the value we're offering in finance. Even my team, we report shareholder value added in terms of the work we do. So it's great to see a community initiative where we come together and can actually build from here, go back to basics and build from the basics to something that's really going to be useful and stand us in good stead into the future. So, Rob, Lance, thank you so much for making your time today and investing in strength in the numbers and sharing such great insights with our audience